Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. These are the first words of Jesus that are recorded in Mark's gospel, and they proclaim in a nutshell what Jesus was all about during his ministry on this earth. And one of the things that is so remarkable about it is that what he says his vision and his ministry are all about is the kingdom of God. And then for the next several chapters in Mark, we see this kingdom of God image, and we see different parables that Jesus uses to explain what the kingdom of God is. And the parables that we get today compare the kingdom of God to seeds. And earlier in the same chapter, we have the famous parable of the sower and the seed, where Jesus actually explains that parable in detail and says that the seed is the word of God. And he talks about the four kinds of soil that are out there. But this morning, what I want us to do is to drill down a little bit and think about two questions. The first question, what does Jesus mean by the kingdom of God? The second question, what, what is the kingdom of God like in terms of being like a seed? And then thirdly, I want us to reflect a little bit on why that matters. So first, what does Jesus mean by the kingdom of God? Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. And what Jesus is saying is that the time is at hand, or in some versions, the time is accomplished. All of what creation has been waiting for has finally happened in the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus brings with him the kingdom of God. And in some mysterious and hidden way, Jesus himself is the kingdom of God in flesh and spirit. And I want us to think a little bit about what that means, because you'll notice that the first word after he says the kingdom of God is at hand is repent. And what that means is he's saying we need a new framework for living, not a framework that is all about ourselves and what we think, but a framework that is about following him a framework that is about living into this kingdom of God. And I want to say just a brief word about what the kingdom of God is not, because a lot of the hearers in Jesus' time and even hearers today misunderstand that, and they think that somehow the kingdom of God is a kingdom of this world. It's something about political power. Um, in Jesus' day, that they thought he was going to be some kind of cosmic Rambo who would come in and overthrow the Romans and restore the throne of David and make Israel a superpower. And clearly, that was not what Jesus is about. It is not about building a better society, although Jesus calls us to love one another and love our neighbor as ourselves. But that is not the point. As one theologian has said, it is not some moral or political position that Christians should be known for, but rather for the king whom we follow. Christianity does not hinge on whether or not Christians inhabit the power structures of society. Jesus did not pursue 
power structures for his kingdom. Rather, his model was teaching and preaching and healing and calling people to radically follow him in beloved community. And I want to just say a word about that word follow because it's so misunderstood now because of Instagram. We think following is a passive activity where we click a button and we're done. This kind of following is like if you were being told that you were going to go to a new development that's way out in what we used to think of as the wilderness in Ondaw, and you've never been out there, and you have to follow your friend's car during rush hour from downtown Charleston through Mount Pleasant and never lose that car in order to get to your destination. That's the kind of proactive following this is talking about. And I want us to look briefly at a couple of Greek words. Please stay awake for this. Uh, one of the things that we miss when we read the New Testament is the New Testament talks a lot about life. There are lots of verses about life. And in English, there are three different Greek New Testament words, all translated as life. And when we understand the difference, it opens this up in a whole new way. The three words are bios, psyche, and zoe. Bios is biological life, the life that we have when we're born until we die, the life that a plant has or an animal. Psyche is sort of a soul or spirit life. Zoe is the life of God. It is the life that has been around from eternity, that is the center of the Trinity and the relationship among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that eternal life that is bubbling over uh, with strength and power and joy and all of those things. And the interesting thing is that when you go and look at what Scripture says about Jesus bringing the kingdom of God, you'll notice that it's all tied up with this idea of the Word of God and life. And if you remember, on Christmas Eve, very often the gospel is from that great prologue to John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And a little farther down, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that idea of word there is logos, which means the word of God, but it also means Jesus. So it's all caught up, the apostles teaching the scriptures, Jesus himself are all embodied in that word of God. But the interesting thing is Zoe, the life that is mentioned there, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Zoe is the uncreated eternal life of God, the unique divine life of the Trinity that is the center of all reality. And the kingdom of God is that Zoe, that Zoe invading this world. And when you look at the Greek words, you see that is what Jesus brings into the world for the very first time in its fullness. He brings that Zoe life, that life of God. And Jesus is call to us is to follow him and to be caught up into that life. It is not about overthrowing the Romans or political structures or social justice or any of those things. It is about having a kind of life that is qualitatively different, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, and through him we are drawn up into that new kind of life. So that brings me to the second question, how is the kingdom of God like a seed. And we've seen already that Jesus himself is the word of God. 
The word of God certainly is the scriptures. It's certainly the gospel, the news about Jesus, the Old Testament scriptures. But the culmination and the fullness of that is Jesus himself. All of God's word written points to who Jesus is. And we see in that parable of the four soils, the parable of the sower, when Jesus explains it, he says that the seed is the word of God. It is the word of God being sown, and there are different reactions to it depending on where people's hearts are. And the farmer sows the seed. And in today's parable, the parable of the growing seed, we see that beautiful image that the farmer sows the seed, but the growth is not because of the farmer. The farmer, and I'm sorry, most of us don't have grandparents anymore who are farmers where we've watched the whole cycle of crops, but anybody who is a real farmer knows that you can put out the seed and you can try to do what you know, the agricultural schools tell you to do, but unless God sends the rain, unless the sun comes out, and unless the soil is fertile, nothing will grow. The most interesting thing about this is how utterly unprepossessing most seeds are. I want you to think about, if you've ever seen a seed, what it looks like. Most seeds are ugly. They're hard, they're brown and black. Um, sometimes they look all misshapen. Uh, and the interesting thing about them is they're usually drab, drab colors. Some of them even smell bad. And the interesting thing about them is that within each seed is the fullness of the life that can come out of that seed. The fullness of what kind of plant it is. There's beauty and fragrance and growth all within this thing that looks so dead. And my favorite example of this is the amaryllis bulb. Now, I thought about bringing one up here and throwing it out to see if y'all were awake. But the amaryllis bulb is one of the most unattractive things in God's creation. It's brown, it's ugly, it's got little knobs and warts on it. It looks just horrible. But what you do with that amaryllis bulb is you take it and you bury it away and you probably think, well, I don't want to see that anymore. It's awful looking. But what happens is that through the miracle of the way God has created it, that ugly, dead-looking, bulbous, smelly thing suddenly will send one night while you're asleep this shoot that is a strong, powerful green shoot. And a little later, the top of that shoot will swell, and then all of a sudden, this huge, beautiful, colorful, fragrant flower opens. And we have nothing to do with that, and we unfortunately have lost our sense of wonder at how incredible that is. And that is just a small symbol of what Jesus is talking about here, what he will do in our lives. And then the other thing that is so important to understand is that the New Testament is full of what are called types and shadows, images of things. And the seed image is an image of Jesus himself and what his ministry is going to do. The kingdom of God is like a seed. It does not depend on us. God is the one that makes the growth. It is hidden. It is a mystery. It is full of the purposes of God that are beyond our understanding and beyond our comprehension in every way. And the remarkable thing is that the seed is full of life. And it's interesting 
Jesus, in the same chapter, says to the disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And the secret comes from that same Greek word that means mystery, and it refers to something hidden that is beyond and more amazing than what we can think of. And I want you to think about Jesus himself as being like that seed, like that tiny little mustard seed, an insignificant baby born in a manger in a backwater province of the Roman Empire who grew up in this area where there was no mass communication and preached and taught, and look what has happened. Uh, there's a great poem called One Solitary Life that I would commend to you that talks about how Jesus' life turned the world upside down. And the reason for that is that Jesus, that tiny seed, died and was buried, and then God brought him with that Zoe resurrection life to come forth from that tomb and, and the power of the Holy Spirit to preach that word that transformed his disciples following him. Jesus himself said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus, being that seed, is the seed that has brought the kingdom of God, that has caused us great joy by moving us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So a few reflections on why this matters so much. The first thing is hope. If you have not noticed, we are living in an age of despair. If you turn on the news and watch even for five minutes, you'll want to turn it off because it's so depressing. And there seems to be so much brokenness and evil and everything else all around us. But a seed is a symbol of hope. And Jesus intends that for us. He intends that his people be looking forward to the hope of glory. Scripture calls it Christ within us, the hope of glory. And we as Christians should be the people radiating hope in the midst of this broken world, calling people to follow Jesus. It reminds me, there's a great scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia where they are running from the evil witch and they're in the house of the beavers and they're sort of bemoaning that they're going to die because they're being chased. And the beaver's wife tries to make the children feel better by saying, oh, but there's always hope, dearie. There's always hope. Well, her husband just about chokes and he says, there's a right bit more than hope. Aslan is on the move. And that is what we as Christians need to understand, that it is not a feeble, wimpy little hope, but the hope of the fullness of who God is that we have to proclaim to the world. The second thing is that our priorities need to change because of the kingdom of God. Listen to these words from Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden, there's that word again, hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And this is so important because we need to focus our lives on this kind of understanding of priority. We need to feed the kingdom life within us. I think all of us are pretty good about three physical meals a day, but our spiritual life is often on a starvation diet. We need to feed that life within us. 
I want to commend to you a movie called A Hidden Life uh, that came out in 2019. And there's an incredible scene in it with a painter talking about what the difference is between being an admirer of Christ and a follower of Christ. It's all too easy to be an admirer and to say, Jesus was wonderful, I love his teaching, and to just go about our business. But it is an altogether different thing to be called to follow. And lastly, the idea of waiting in hope. We live in an instant society. We don't want to grow seeds. We want to go to Hyams or Abide a while and buy things at the height of their flowering and put them out and then throw them away and get something new. But the gospel tells us that we must be those who wait. Miracles are not instant. The miracle of the growth of the seed takes time, and we may not even notice it. And it's a good reminder to us that the kingdom of God does not come all at once, but it comes in God's perfect timing. As Isaiah says, the earth shall be full of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So it is with the kingdom of God. We do our part by proclaiming the gospel, but it is by the power of God that the kingdom comes into being. Jesus said, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. May we welcome that kingdom in our hearts. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to be good soil, good soil for the seed of your kingdom, that we would be drawn to follow Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would be bearers of hope and of love to this broken world, that the world might turn and acknowledge you as your, the king. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.